Hey folks, welcome to another edition of Living in Calgary. I'm your host, Brian Howard. And today I have on the show a long time, I wouldn't say friend, but connection, maybe colleague in this real estate space, uh, Marcin Droughts. Uh, and I met probably about 2011. Marcin yeah. was in, in a, probably five years into his real estate journey at that time. And we had a great conversation. We both remember fondly at the Blackfoot Inn, started having a coffee and uh, he was, he was really connecting, looking out for shakers and movers in the real estate industry. And I was uh, grateful for our connection, although Marcin and I have never really you know, done business, but I've been on his email list and connected and always impressed at what he's doing. So here we are 10 years later <laughs> since first meeting. And uh, Marcin, welcome so much for the show. Thanks for your time. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, ten years later and a few, few, few wrinkles later, here we are, right? So. I think you're. I think you're actually looking a little fitter than you did even when I met. Is that possible? What are you uh, doing to stay fit these days? I've, I've, i got, uh, I've got the love of my life is ten years younger, so she keeps me moving. <laughs> oh, that's important. Yes. Must you have kids? Yeah, actually, we just had our first uh, daughter literally last month here, November tenth. So yeah. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations. I should also add here, in terms of a little bit about you, the, the, the elevator pitch. You're an active investor who has sourced over $250 million in capital for several ventures, ranging from real estate, customer service, and finance. You're the host of a game, the, I love the name, The Game Podcast, where you're interviewing people who crushed it in real estate, entrepreneurship, and mindset. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. So you're having some fun. And um, so Marcin, maybe just sort of uh, get into it. What year did you move to Calgary and what strikes you about living in Calgary? So I, I ended up in Calgary, I think it was 2008, 2000, tale of 28, 2008, 2000, early 2009. I don't remember exactly when, but I, I know it was right when the party ended the first time. <laughs> October, but October 20, 2008, the party ended. Yes. Oh, is yeah. that what it was? Okay. It was yeah, October, might have, yeah. Might have been around then because I saw a lot of I saw a lot of, a lot of realtors and mortgage brokers trading in their Ferraris for Camrys back then. So, you know, it's uh, it struck me as quite odd because where I grew up in Ontario, you know, you're always hearing these stories where you know Tim Hortons workers were getting paid fifteen dollars an hour and guys were getting paid a hundred grand a year to cook eggs up in the camps up north and just all these stories right and living in Ontario you're just like a hundred grand is a lot of money today still all things considered but in 2008 wow like that was insane so yeah I, th I think I ended up in Calgary right when uh, when when the party stopped the first time I did a little as I was preparing for our interview here today, or a chat, I should call it. I was doing a little research on you, and uh, I read, you know, you're, you have a great YouTube channel. I learned that you uh, originally came from Poland with your parents. I guess, I'm guessing you were probably five when you guys moved from Poland. Was it Warsaw to Toronto? Let us, tell us a little bit about that. Sure, yeah. Uh, I mean, I was born in communist Poland, and uh, my dad got arrested for smuggling corn into the country. He was selling corn, like literally at the, at the black market, if you can imagine. He was right, basically running an illegal grocery store. And uh, he got arrested, and they were going to send him to jail. He didn't like that idea, my mom didn't either. So that night on a moped, they because uh, we were in the southwest of Poland, they literally took a moped through the forest into East Germany 
uh, and eventually into West Germany. And, you know, and uh, a couple years later, because I was only a few months old at the time, a couple of year, couple years later, my grandpa literally threw me in the trunk of his car because he was a government official and just drove me across the border and uh, reunited me with my family. And then, you know, eventually in 91, we came to Canada. He smokes. And what year were you born? Like what year was this that you're... 85, so your parents uh, did this, wow, in 85, just before things were a little easier in the 90s, I guess, in the 2000s. Yeah, I mean, nobody, nobody knew things were going to, you know, there's this big political movement in Europe, Poland, called Solidarność, which was essentially the, you know, the, the right to choose freedom and, and all the freedom of the people, so to speak, right, from the whole communist manifesto. And yeah, we were already, who knew, right, that it was going to happen, so we... You know, for good measure, dad, dad didn't want to be told that he can't run a business. So, you know, we were lucky enough that Canada would have us. And so that was in 85, you were born, your parents, I guess it was that year that they sort of escaped on a moped, your grandfather. I know a fair amount about Poland. I have a great friend and lots of stories about the area, about Poland. But, and then you moved to Canada roughly what year? What year did you, and was it Toronto? Oh, it, was, it was 91. I can tell you it was August, I forget the day, but it was August 91. And we ended up in this uh, house with three other families in Roncesvalles, downtown Toronto. And Roncesvalles now is, is a really nice, I mean, all of Toronto is really you know, nice at this point now, but that was a pretty, you know, rough and tumble neighborhood back then. And I remember I'd never experienced humidity before. And, you know, you just, you just come to this new country. And I remember seeing my dad, master mechanic, businessman, entrepreneur, just any job he could get sweeping floors. You know, my mom was a uh, pharmacist she's PhD she's working at a donut shop thrift shop like you just you just did whatever you had to do right and I grew up with that and I saw that as a kid and you know there's never a plan B you just made things work like whatever it was it just it, it, it was going to work you didn't know how yet but it was going to work interesting so I graduated from university in 1990 there were no jobs in Canada so 91 there were still no jobs we we're in a, in a tough time and so you, you guys landed in Toronto and so obviously you're, you grew up in the area and you moved to Calgary in 2008 you already told me yeah and what brought you to Calgary was it your family or did you come here because of the real estate what was happening well, I, I came. I came more so for uh, an opportunity to work for for a private equity firm at the time. They're, they're no longer around, but it was a family-owned shop, and uh, it, it was an opportunity because in in Ontario before those those late teenage years, I'd read rich and poor dad's time about sort of buying rental properties and, and things like this, and I had an opportunity to learn about larger uh, apartment buildings, land assemblies, just just larger transactions, things that, you know, you only read about. And so I took the opportunity and the opportunity was in Alberta and I ended up in Calgary. And as I came here, like I said, somebody, you know, with the record, it was like, <laughs> right. But I, I did that for a couple of years, learned a lot and really leapfrogged, leapfrogged my, my education in real estate because of that. So. What's your education background other than high school? So I went to uh, went to college for law and security initially, and then I went to uh, York for I got accepted for it was it was uh, the year, initial year was business or law I hadn't decided yet, and I started buying property at the same time, and I just I, I just dropped out of university. I was bored out of my mind to be honest with you. I it was good information and. In hindsight, if I took accounting specifically and just stuck to accounting because that's applicable for business, I would have probably I would have probably stuck with it. But because of the things I was studying were so like air, 
it felt fluffy to me. Like I didn't, I couldn't apply it to what I was doing. So I just ended up dropping out, learning sales, public speaking, you know, getting into real estate. And it's, you know, I, 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 despite my mom, she would have loved to have been able to say that her son's a lawyer or an accountant or something like this. But despite my mom's misgivings, I think I made the right decision. Yeah, you were early to the boat to like realize that, hey, maybe I don't need that whatever $100,000 four-year degree or $200,000, whatever it cost at the time or still cost. Um, you were early to parry that. It seems a lot more young people are doing that today because everything seems accessible on the internet in terms of self-learning. Oh, and then in the motivation too. I mean, there's a whole motivation part if you know what you're going to do, right? Yeah, well, I was sitting in the classroom and I did the college thing and college was fine because it was hands-on and I had enough time to keep doing the house thing on the side. But then I, the, the first year of university, I'm sitting in this classroom with a couple hundred people. And as I'm talking to these people, they're all talking about getting good jobs, getting good grades, getting promotions. And all this stuff is fine, but my brain was like, well, I don't wanna, I don't wanna learn how to work for people. I want to create things. Mm -hmm. And the people I was talking to, I just wasn't, I didn't feel like I was in my environment with those people. And it, you know, good, bad, and different. I just, I, I wasn't, and then the workload, it was, it was so technical and so deep and I'm like why am I learning this stuff like I this stuff doesn't help me today and you know again you know being early 20s maybe you make decisions a little bit more brashly but yeah I, I just I was excited about actually going out and doing stuff neat Marcia, we originally got I should say we got reconnected somehow I maybe clicked one of your links on a Facebook ad or something on how to raise capital. And I maybe even signed up for the, you know, the free one day course, you know, limited time offer and I never participated in the course, <laughs> but I'm on your email list did, you know, cause I was, you know, I'm curious about, you know, what, the, what you're doing on that. And uh, I, I just want to sort of say, you know, awesome congratulations it's curious to me i haven't i haven't done it despite over the last 20 years having lots of joint venture partners in real estate i'd like to tell us a little bit about what you're most focused on right now and sort of maybe tie in one of my standard questions is what's easy for you these days what's hard for you these days <laughs> all right well what's what's easy for me I, maybe i'll just start with that and back into the question what's easy for me is i i love teaching about you know i i love i mean I, I love real estate but i i love i love structuring deals as much if not more real estate has always been my preferred deal deal outlet so to speak but structuring deals pe private equity that kind of stuff is, is 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 easy for me i mean there's always a lot to learn but for me i'm passionate about it so it's easy in that sense what's difficult for me is uh, uh lockdowns <laughs> sitting sitting still actually at a necessity so so my latest business that we started with this whole how to raise capital and this educational side was you know six months into lockdown i'm sitting there and maria my sweetheart's looking at me she's like you got to do something like you are because <laughs> because i used to be on flights meeting with people buying buildings doing stuff and you know for a period of time you're online right so mm -hmm. i had a lot of people reaching out to me about deal structure and things like this so i, I put together a group I created a company called M1 Real Estate Group where we, we teach people you know, how to raise capital, how to do deals and things like this. And you know, that 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 kind of came together. And for me, it's a lot of fun. Like we have like I have one student, his name is Ash. He's in his early 20s. He's still in college. He's in the US. He literally hops on our calls every week during the day while he's in the classroom and he's listening to it while he's, you know, doing doing the uh, the college thing. <laughs> 
and and he just bought his first property. He structured, you know, I think he did a JV with some some friends or things like this. That was cool. And then I have other colleagues that are part of part of my group that are working on three four hundred unit acquisitions. So, you know, it's uh, it's a wide range of people, but for me, it's just fun to see people kind of that light bulb that you know when people get it. For me, that's exciting. And yeah, as far as my main world, what, what I've always been doing, what I, what I do do is I focus on buying apartment buildings. I, I'd love to buy in Calgary. I'm, Brian, I'm looking at deals all the time, but I'm having a tough go as I'm sure you hear about the prices here in Calgary relative to what people are willing to pay. It's tough. So for the last few years, I've been focusing on primarily the Southeast United States. Mm-hmm. I bought just shy of 300 doors in the last little bit in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. That was, you know, how much did we pay for that? In total, maybe seven million bucks. For, mm-hmm. Think about wow. that, 280 doors. I got to put a couple million in CapEx, but still. And and now we've got a couple hundred doors under contract in uh, Florida. So I think Florida is a really good market as well. And yeah, I'd love to do that in Calgary. I mean, we'll talk about Calgary a little bit more, but I'd love to do that in Calgary. It's just the economics are... You know, I, I can buy apartments for twenty for forty to sixty thousand a door in the southeast compared to two to three hundred thousand in in Calgary per per door, right? So the numbers are just really apart right now. So I'm interested, Martin. What like what's going on in, like in the past year, past two years in Canada and Calgary? Because you're going to study. You know, you studied. I think markets. You've studied Calgary real estate. Like what, where are we at right now in terms of, like I have a good colleagues, of course, in Toronto, East Coast, Canada, West Coast, Canada, Vancouver Island, and prices have just gone crazy. Actually, in the past 30 days, I read from a you know Canadian uh, mortgage housing corporation kind of stat that prices in Canada have increased 18% across Canada, like it, on average. In Alberta, it's 3.5%. Like I'm wondering, do you think Calgary is a good place to invest currently? Like, I'm actually a little bit surprised to hear you, you know, bad so, talk Calgary. I mean, so, it, <laughs> so let, 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 let's, let's clarify the conversation because I'm talking yeah. commercial. Multifamily. You're talking commercial. multifamily, but if we're yeah. talking single family, we bought three houses this year alone in Calgary. So Calgary, as far as single family and the smaller right. properties right. are fantastic. I am bullish as bullish can be on Calgary when it comes to houses and maybe small, like small duplex type of situations, maybe land assemblies, things like this. I'm actually looking at, so we just bought a house on Memorial and I'm looking at buying the neighbor's houses potentially for land assembly because the zoning is MC2, I think it is. So we can, mm-hmm. you know, we can do a conversion. So, so Brian, you know, don't beat me up too bad because I, I agree with you on the small side. Be- and, and here's something else, okay? The, the price per square foot to build this stuff you like the house I we, we just bought so the last two houses one was 500,000 one was 520 one was a part of a quadplex one was a standalone but an older house per square foot without the land itself I couldn't build what I bought you know what I mean so yeah. if I can build it for what I paid for it without the land as an indicator of that, that is not the only indicator of value, but that's a pretty good one. Because wow. lumber, lumber is not going to get cheaper. Windows aren't going to get cheaper. You know, copper is not going to come. Like all this stuff is like inflation, whether it's transitory or whether it's here to stay. I, I don't think prices are going to come down to any meaningful amount. So 
as an indicator of value on the single family side, yeah, no, I'm, I'm bullish as heck. And there's a lot of money coming in from Ontario because these guys are selling their, you know, their $2 million condos downtown Toronto and they're coming here and they're buying six, $700,000, you know, what, what would be a $4 million house in Toronto for six, 700 grand. So very, very bullish on the single family side. Okay. 100%. So I just have to let the viewers know and yourself as well. So in terms of that question and that conversation, when I was very early in my real estate career and was very focused on investing, but in post focused on investing in single family homes, I met this great guy on Edmonton trail, forget his name, but he was a Hungarian background. I'm pretty sure it could have been Turkish. And he said to me, Brian, smart people, no. So I guess smart people buy single family homes as investments. Smarter people, you know, buy um, fourplexes and the smartest buy buildings. <laughs> Something along those lines. So as my conversation to you just now was, it is like, you know, you have a podcast about uh, strong mindsets, big mindsets, big thinkers. So I'm kind of, my questions are coming from a small minded person thinking of investments like as a single family home just no, that's but, just a fun conversation really but, but you make you make you make a really good point brian because i mean so, so I'll, I'll preface all this you know i'm very bullish on calgary as long as the property cash flows and right, i don't mean right. you buy it in an airbnbs and then it cash flows by the skin of your teeth i mean can you buy it and just rent it as a normal rental and cash flow it if you can do that and it cash flows, then you're fine because you're not speculating on, you know, potentially the market going crazy like it did in Toronto. And in a lot of ways, those fundamentals, whether it's single family or multifamily, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. So um, in terms of that, like speculation, you know, so right now, my son recently became a, a, a real estate agent in Victoria, you know, Vancouver Island. Mm -hmm. And he, he's done, he's doing these deals with these like young guys, kind of investors, like buying 500,000 or $800,000 condos that they're actually turning into Airbnbs and they're getting yeah. huge cash flow. But I mean, it's kind of speculation or is it? <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're, you're taking on, so, so I'm looking at, I'm looking at some buildings in the U S right now where they were former hotels and we're looking at converting them into uh, one bedroom or studio apartments for just long-term rentals. And, and you, gotta, you gotta be aware of the goalposts. So for the hotel industry, it's all about ADR, average daily rate, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, you, and your occupancy rate and things like this. And the problem is people, when they do the Airbnb thing, they still have the blinders of the hotel business wrapped into a residential real estate play. And you're confusing the conversation if you do it that way. The other thing too with Airbnb, and we do Airbnb, but I only do them where I control the environment. So I would never buy a condo into an Airbnb. Why? Well, condo bylaws, the rules, the, the local municipal or, or ordinances, there, there's so many different variables. I mean, technically the municipalities can outlaw them in houses as well, but I've have yet to see that outside of, you know, really hot tourist areas down in Florida and things like this. But yeah, the advice I would always have, and it's not popular advice because it doesn't work and it prohibits sales, is that if you if you if you can run it as a rental and cash flow it, then if you Airbnb it and you cash and, and you cash flow even more, then of course that that sounds good. But but you know that doesn't sell condos because it's hard to buy a half a million dollar condo and charge two grand a month rent and cash flow. Right now is you, know, you mean you're bullish in Calgary? Can also. On a scale of one to ten, how easy is it to buy a 
a home, let's call it a single family home, maybe a single family home with a basement suite, how easy is it, is it to buy a, a property in Calgary that can cash flow today? It's easier here than in Ontario, <laughs> I'll tell you that much. So, so I'll, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll give you an example. So the last house we bought, we, we bought it uh, just on Memorial. I paid mm. uh, just, uh, just just about half a million for it. And mortgage what, is... Was it actually a detached home, a Memorial? Yeah. For 500000 that's it, eh? Good for you. Well, it's, it's a 100-year-old house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I assume. <laughs> uh, it's a 100-year-old house, but it's actually really good. It's got good bones. You know, it's got 20, 30 capex that it needs, and, and that's fine. But, and it's um, a half, half lot, so 25 feet. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's 29 feet or 30 feet oh, or something Oh, well, that's like that. good. And yeah. it's, it's 130 feet, 120, 130 feet. It's a deep lot. You could build a Pretty front big. Pattern. Yeah. But, but my, my point is just uh, that half a million, even if you paid $600,000, your mortgage is between two and three grand a month. So right there, you're all right. If you're just going to rent it as a regular rental, you're already probably behind the eight ball because you then you have property taxes, insurance, things like this. So, you know, the nicer areas of Calgary, just on a strict cash flow basis is hard to do. But if you grow further out on the East End, Forest Lawn, that whole area where it's starting to develop and there's a lot of rejuvenation happening in that area. I was talking to a few developers out there and they're pretty bullish on the regentrification of that whole area where you, you can get your average price down where you can buy a duplex for that rather than a single family house. And it's a lot easier to cash flow positive. So with that house on Memorial Drive, will it cash flow for you? Uh, yeah, it'll if well, we're, we're actually going to do turn it into a Airbnb. Mm-hmm. But as as a standalone rental property, it would cash flow maybe 100, 200 bucks. Like it, it would, but that's not the we're not doing that. But if that was the yeah. Backup, yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like if it I didn't do, work, 100%. If, yeah, I understand. <laughs> if, if it didn't work as an if it didn't work as an Airbnb, we could do it either as a furnished or an unfurnished rental. And furnished rental would cash flow really well. Unfurnished, it barely cap, but it would still at least cover itself. And if you're negative 50 bucks, 80 bucks, 100 bucks, I mean, you know, you know, as long as you're not looking for cash flow from that property, you're fine. But the Airbnb, I mean, we have some Airbnbs that cash flow, net cash flow, three to five grand a month. So it's, you know, it works. But again, that that that's only the, that isn't what I went into this thing with, right? right? Because, because to your point, Calgary, I mean, look, I'm bullish on Calgary, but I don't know if it's going to take off next summer, 2023, 2024, 2025. Who knows what's going to happen with Trudeau? Who knows what's going to happen with the oil industry? Who knows if, you know, Amazon's impact on Alberta and Calgary in particular is going to be as, you know, fundamental as we're all hoping it is. There, there's just so many who knows, right? So in the meantime, as long as the cash flows, eventually you'll be right. It's just, you know, are you right today or are you right in five years? And how long can you wait? <laughs> you to wait? Because I remember some first rental property I bought, I was negative cash. I was 20, 21 years old. First rental property I bought, I, I was negative cash for $800 a month. Ouch. Did that hurt? I was 21 years old. You know how many, how many dates I couldn't afford to go on? <laughs> hey, sweetheart, another picnic. Yeah, yeah, we're 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 going to the park. What do you mean you don't want to go for a walk? <laughs> so um, the um, getting so do you own Airbnb in Calgary currently? Do you have anything Airbnb properties? They they're awful in the city. I mean, awful when you compare to. I'm booking my trip to California or Phoenix or Hawaii, and the prices we pay at Airbnbs in other cities versus what the 
Like a hundred bucks is kind of a lot of money here in Calgary for an Airbnb. Not really, but there's lots of properties available for a hundred bucks a night, eh? Well, and I, I think that the ones that we do, are, our average rate is between two and 400 a night. Oh, good for you. You have nice properties. Yeah, they're, they're typically, you know, more bedrooms, four, be four bedrooms, uh, four bathrooms or three bathrooms, that kind of thing. They're bigger houses. And that's what I mean. Like, you know, if you're trying to, like the, the quadplex that we bought, the last one on Kensington here, you know where Kensington is. Yeah. Uh, the last one we bought in Kensington, we paid just over 500 for it. I mean, this thing is, and I bought that in the summer, I bought it privately, you know, but but to to build to build this thing. Wait a second, you, you bought a quadplex or a fourplex for $500,000 in Kensington? No. One of the, one of the four. Oh, one units. unit. In the, in four. So there'd be, there'd be strata fees then. It'd be a town, yeah. building, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We will, we, yeah. The HOA, pardon me, HOA, the condo fees are 250 bucks or something yeah. like that. Okay. But my point is it's 1800, no, 1700 square feet. If your construction costs are about $200 a square foot, Plus the land. I mean, basically, you're replacing the asset for what you paid for it, just just on a you know replacement cost basis. So, real estate typically trades at a much higher multiple than replacement cost. That's where builders make the margins, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's what that, their builders count on the fact that people are paying more than what it costs to build. Obviously, just for fun, the math in your head right now, when you're talking about a price per square foot, what number are you using? Like, what can you build for in Calgary? A price per square foot. Well, in so did, I've never built in Calgary, so just full disclosure. And me either, uh, and I have a number in my head too. Oh, but like, I, what, what what do you use as an investor? Just, just 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 the box, just the box. I'd say 150, 175. It's hard to say because lumber keeps, yeah, you know, depends what month. I mean, I just literally looked at lumber prices for the last three months, and it literally just did this. But uh, you know, I look at the box, 150 to 200 dollars a square foot. And, you know, if you have your finishes, you know, it, it, it varies. So, I mean, if you take $200, uh, quick, quick math, you know, again, lumber changes so fast nowadays, but, and other things too, but, and assuming you can get things, that's, that's another thing, but $200 times 2000 square feet is 400 grand. And that's mm -hmm. kind of, you know, and then you got to assume there's some value in the land, right? So. Yeah, I, uh, I use the same math, Marcin. So uh, 10 years ago, a builder, you know, a good friend builder told me he was built, oh, you know, $250 a square foot, like 10, even 10 or more years ago, he told me that. And I've heard people say recently, I might say more new immigrant builders can build for 165 a square foot. I'm seeing, I've heard that in the last 18 months. Certainly, I don't think I could do that. And then my sister who recently built, you know, probably built closer to $400 a square foot. I mean, this is her home. So yeah, it's, it's in terms of quick numbers, I mean, 200 is not being really safe. <laughs> no, and, yeah. and I mean, if I showed, if I showed you the finishes of, 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 of these places, of it'd, be, yeah. it'd be more than 200. But, you know, yeah. again, it, yeah. it, it's just because, because again, the finishes, right? Because like I said, just the box would be 150 and then you've got your upgrades, your finishes. Are you putting tile? You know, what quality carpet are you doing? Are you doing hardwood, laminate? You know, are you doing the, there, there's just so many little things, right? But I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the thing the thing with Calgary is I, I really do think there's a lot this city has to offer. Also, you know, there's no traffic and I know people that have grown up here think different, but I encourage you to go to Vancouver or where I grew up in Toronto and you will see some traffic because here, this is the fact that you can get around, you know, relatively easy is, is, is great. Quality of life is amazing. 
you know, you have world-class infrastructure, you have, you know, the, the, the performing arts, you have all these different things that make Calgary, you know, the mountains, it's just spectacular, fresh air, like, you know, for somebody, for somebody coming from Toronto or coming from uh, other parts of Canada, they're going to look at, they're going to look at other affordable markets and they'll compare Calgary to other centers in, you know, central Canada and bar none, Calgary just has so much to offer. So Marissa, when you're, I mean, my podcast is Calgary Living in Real Estate and Lifestyle. You're, you're, you've come from, well, kind of a global perspective, just in the sense of where you come from and your parents and your experience. And what I've noticed on your sort of Facebook group is that you are attracting, it's not Calgary based, it's like the world, it's like how do you know, in terms of your questions, it's how to raise your first 500,000 or $50,000 or $50 million in capital. What this sort of leads me to the question, why when you, you're big, you have a big, uh, a big mindset, uh, some thought, you know, around you're a global thinker, why are you staying in Calgary? Like, and, and in terms of your, your audience, who you like to teach to and train, are you, your audience is global, isn't it? Or is it Western hemisphere or North America? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say a lot of it is North American, but we do have a lot of people in Europe and, and overseas that, you know, participate in our various uh, forums. But you know what, for me, I love I love being a Canadian. I love living in Canada. I, I love just that feeling of being on Canadian soil, you know, call me biased. I, and for me, Calgary has always been, you know, Calgary has always been my favorite city. It, it really has. I mean, I love Toronto. I love Vancouver, but I've always felt at home in Calgary. And I, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that it's a big city, but it still feels like something that you can wrap your hands around and you know i like i like that feeling to it i i've you know i've i've done the thing in new york i've you know i've spent time in montreal I've, and that hustle and bustle is great but then you know now especially now i'm having you know kids and you know you start to change and you know i saw my daughter crying this morning and it just changes you just you know you just you know apparently i put the diaper on the, the wrong way but that's but another story but you know, Cal long story short, Calgary, Calgary is a fantastic place to live. I love doing business everywhere. I, I love doing business in the US, especially the you know, the southern states, because the rules are very, you know, they understand who butters the bread in terms of investors, investment, attracting capital. Canada, I think, is a little bit more yeah, I mean, enough said. <laughs> Canada is Canada. Interesting. You know? This probably has to do with your Polish background and your father well, smuggling I, corn into the country. Like, I, you, you, yeah, there's, a, there's, 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 there's rules, there's black, there's white, and there's in between. I mean, look, I mean, without getting too philosophically yeah. charged here, government's job is to aid in the conduct of, of great society its job isn't to direct society and mm -hmm. i think when you start to see too much direction coming from above you start to slip in a territory that you know a lot of people that grew up in those territories try to get away from so you know there's parts of canada that are that are much more open and you know i i it's very hard to compare Canada to U.S. because U.S. is just so pro-business. They just mm -hmm. like, let's go, let's go. Like everybody is motivated to make something happen. And I love that. No, it's true. Interesting. Let's get, jump in a little about finance and stuff. What were some of the biggest lessons you learned on your plan to raise $250 million the first time? Well, 
Well, I mean, ra raising raising money, whether you're raising fifty thousand or getting a fifty million dollar commitment from an institutional facility or investment group or whatever it is, there's a lot of similarities. And you know, this is one of the things we te we teach about, and it's having uh, a, a certain approach to your business. So. Fundraising, in my opinion, is one of the hardest skill sets, one of the most underrated skill sets out there because people, entrepreneurs, and I, I know people like this that think, well, you know, I have this great idea. People should just be lucky to participate in it. Like they're, they're just going to fly, they're, you know, they're just going to gravitate to like a moth to a flame. Well, that's not how it works. Like even the guys that started Facebook and Amazon and all the various real estate investment trusts that exist, they had to go around, tell their story and go door to door and collect the first five, 10, 15, $20 million to get started. So it doesn't matter how compelling your vision is, is you, you still have to do the grunt work. And it's easier to do the grunt work when you're really clear on what, 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 you're, what you're offering. So one, one of the things that, that we teach is the six factors that allow you to kind of craft your niche. And one of them is, you know, what's your unique selling proposition? So in other words, you, like what makes you uniquely you? So did you grow up in construction? You know, have you always been in real estate? Have you always X, Y, like what is, what is, what is, what is the thing about you that makes you unique? Another factor is the market that you're going after, the investment thesis. So there's, there's all these different components and really getting honed in on your conversation is so important because I mean, you, you've seen this too, you meet somebody and they ask you what you do, or you ask them what they do. And for 12 minutes, they just talk about stuff and you're standing there and you're going, Oh man, I have no idea what this guy is doing and I don't know how to get out of this conversation. And they just, and then all of a sudden they're talking about something super specific. And it's, it, it's important to learn how to engage people in a way where they actually want to learn about what you're doing. And that's, that's probably one of the biggest thing is, you know, learn how to be interested, not interesting. Cool. What, how do you create an investor friendly deal? Well, creating an investor-friendly deal is—I mean, think think about it from the investor's perspective. I mean, what, one of the one of the main things to think about is you have well first of all before the deal itself you have to have a deal that you can explain in less than a minute now i know there's a lot of technical stuff and data and analysis but if somebody has to talk to me about a deal for five or ten minutes either a they don't understand it b they don't know what they're doing or c they haven't fully thought it through yet because you should be able to tell me hey they're buying this building or buying this mobile home park it's worth this if i do this it'll be worth this here's proof <laughs> like, like it, it, and here, here's why I know how to do it. Like, it should be that simple. And, and, and those are, those are the factors to get someone engaged. As far as creating an investor friendly deal, I mean, first and foremost, you know, have a management team that has done what they've, what, what they're obviously raising money for. Secondly, you need to have a structure where your investor feels like they're prioritized over you making money it's okay to make some money as the management team going into the transaction because you can't work for free for three years five years but you also shouldn't make all your money up front and then basically say okay so you know when this works you're going to get your returns so getting a good priority structure is important and then finally communicating uh, communicating uh, investor communication so you know when somebody invests they're going to get a quarterly newsletter annual financial report you know what else you know what kind of ongoing communication and set those expectations up front because you're not buying 
like Brian, you're not you're not buying a cell phone, you're not buying a car, you're not you, you write someone a check for 100 or 500 grand, you're not getting something. I mean, you're getting a piece of paper that says you own units or shares in an apartment building or whatever it is. But other than that, that's all you got. So how do you retain and build that confidence over a period of time? That's the communication piece. And, and all those things will make it much easier for you to be able to go back to the well again and again. So I'm, uh, you know, as I'm sitting here with all these years and experience, I'm like, I personally, I mean, again, I've had single joint ventures and the biggest deal I've done personally was a, a fourplex or a fiveplex maybe. And, and so I'm, how do I get, and with all this experience, this age is, you know, I'm at the tail end of my career, 55 years old <laughs> in real estate, like the last, whatever, 30 years. Do you, how come I'm personally, like when I think of, when I think of raising capital to maybe look for a deal, I'm like, I'm thinking, well, or, or a partner, I'm thinking, have their credit to buy a, a buy, to get mortgage financing and maybe invest like a hundred thousand or 200,000. That's peanuts in your perspective, isn't it? <laughs> who is your, who's your typical student? Maybe well, you can just address both questions kind of thing. Well, so, so Brian, it's all relative. I mean, ultimately, I know people that own hundreds of houses. I was talking to a guy that owns 1,200 doors and 1,200 doors. And I mean, single family houses down in Florida. Mm. And you know, a lot of those houses he's bought himself and a lot of them he's got JV partners. So you can scale that way or you can scale with the multifamily way. See me, I'm lazy and I'd rather do less work I'd rather do more work less often and I'd rather buy 100, 200, 300 doors at a time and then just take a minute. And, and that that's kind of just my mentality. So it's not that one's right or wrong, but my, my what I do when you're buying a $5 million or a $50 million acquisition, the numbers are bigger. So mm-hmm. you know, things, things like getting an investor to qualify for financing isn't so important in my world because the bank isn't looking at me personally to pay the mortgage on a $15 million building. They're looking at the building first. Now they're going to look at the management team. They're going to look at us, make sure we can obviously sustain the business. But first and foremost, it's the it's the deal itself. Now, if I was buying 100 houses or 50 houses a year or whatever it is, then you're right. I, I would need potentially somebody to qualify for credit and for somebody for equity. But even on the on the equity side, I would want to make sure that I do it in a way where I can simplify the paperwork so it's not, you know, every and it's probably why I don't do the house thing with, with investors because. For me, it's a lot of work to buy a house with an investor paperwork wise. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather focus that attention on buying, you know, a 20 unit or 200 unit building because there's still paperwork, but it's it's a different scale. And it's because it's it's as much frustration like this last thing we bought this Airbnb. I, I've spent less time buying apartment buildings than I spent on this thing <laughs> just because it was an old house and I had to RPRs and engineering reports and all this stuff. And you do the same stuff for apartment buildings, right? So it's uh, it's just a function of priorities, that's all. I believe you, that's great, no, it's true. Um, Mercy, I'm kind of looking at my watch and I'm going, holy, you know, we could talk for a lot longer, but we need to keep your time in mind and certainly our listeners' time. Maybe a couple of questions. Well, obviously we want to end with, you know, how to, how to reach out to you and, and, uh, and get involved and follow you, so those channels. But I also want to ask, what advice would you give your younger self? Don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> Don't be so hard on yourself. And uh, Rome wasn't built in a day. I remember when I was starting in my early 20s and, 
you know, I'm now in my, you know, I'm 36 now and I'm, I'm sitting here. I'll probably watch this podcast a couple of years from now and I'll laugh at things I'm saying today as well. But I, I just was really tough on myself in my early 20s. I thought I had to have everything done at a certain age. And then I would give myself permission to enjoy myself rather than enjoying the process of learning as I do things. And I would always say to myself, okay, once I buy this, uh, once I buy this property, I'll be happy. Okay, once I do this, I'll be happy. Okay, once I get this, I'll be happy. And it was like this goalpost that always moved. And then one day I think I woke up when I was like 30, I'm like, like I've done this stuff and why am I peed off at stuff? Like why? Like, because I've never allowed myself to just enjoy the process. So for the last five, six years, just, you know, the good and the bad, because if you've been in real estate long enough and you've been in real estate longer than I have, you will, you know, you will live to <laughs> to feel dumber than you actually are <laughs> because things will happen that were well beyond your control. Mm-hmm. So you know, just appreciate that. Uh, what's, I had a mentor tell me, you're never as dumb as you feel and you're never as smart as you look. <laughs> so maybe that's good advice. Exactly. Yeah. No. Great. Great advice. The one of the most sort of one of the quotes that I've heard are like, "What defines success?" And and the success is the is the progressive realization of a worthwhile goal. And so mm-hmm. and there's no so it's just like setting goals and like moving forward. And there's no real goalpost. So and and you know take your time and enjoy the process. Nice to hear you say that. So what's the best way for people to follow you, reach out, maybe contact you? Sure. Yeah. I, my website is probably the catch all because it's got a lot of free resources for people that are trying to figure out how to scale their real estate business or learn how to raise capital for their portfolio or, you know, learn more about what we do. So it's marsandros.com. I think we can put that in your show notes rather than telling that out. And then on Instagram, I have uh, pretty active there, uh, realmarsandros.com. And then Facebook, we've got a group called Actually, this 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 group has really gone crazy since we started it back in October. It's called How to Raise Capital for Real Estate, and we started it back in October. We had like 30 people, and now I think we're about to crack 16 or 1700. So it's uh, you know, I if, if I knew Facebook groups grew like that, I would have started it a long time ago. Good for you. That's awesome. Well, listen, I want to thank you for being on the show, and I look forward to staying in connection a little bit closer than we have over the last 10 years. Yeah, let's uh, let, let's do it. I, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity, and you know, it's it's really encouraging to see you, you know, doing doing your thing here in Calgary. Because I mean, the market needs people that are consistent. Because the, the one thing about Calgary is, for better or for worse, it has been a, a come and go town, and it's nice to see people like you, you know, pillars in the community, which is really good. Thank you, Marcin. It's a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks for having me.